You're listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners with our featured conversation with Richard Tubb and Continuum's executive board. My name's Jeff Nicholson, and this podcast is all about helping you grow your IT business. In this episode, Richard talks with CRO Bob Kosis, VP of Product Fielder Hiss, and CEO Michael George, who have all been working in the industry for many years and now head up Continuum. You'll hear what's coming next for the company, the rise of the MSSP and SOC, and what they are, the importance of security for MSPs, and why you should pivot in order to grow your business. This episode was recorded in person between Richard and his guests at Continuum's Navigate Conference in Boston in September this year. And now, without further ado, here's Richard Tubb talking to his guests, Bob, Fielder, and Michael. Bob Kosis, CRO of Continuum. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you, you're the first, sorry, you're the second ever returning guest of the podcast. Well, I feel honored to be uh, back again. Do you know Thank the you. first returning guest Who was? was it? it was Philip Morgan. All right. Group. And I know you two are close friends yeah, as well. Yes, so I like so, Philip uh, a lot. He's an outstanding leader in the community. It's great. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about leadership um, uh, straight around, later on, I should say. But First of all, there was so much news coming out of Navigate here. Not really sure where to to start. But so let me ask you the question: What do you think is the biggest thing you want MSPs to take it, to pay attention from coming out of Navigate? I just think that uh, MSPs that are engaged with Continuum have a first, what I call a first mover advantage. I think, you know, Jay Ryersey from Carver did a nice job of building um, Carver. Buy, buy an MSP for an MSP, okay? And I think that's unique because most of the other players, they either come from the enterprise or they come from another area. They don't really understand the MSP market. We recognize that. We brought Jay into the fold, made the Carver acquisition, which was very strategic for us. Um, it, it allows us to enable the MSPs with a complete security portfolio. And it allows them to get off the ground and running with, yeah, you're going to have to train your internal resources. You might hire some folks, but with minimal investment, you can go ahead and really add value to your client base. So I think that's the big takeaway for the, from this. Mm. During his keynote, Michael talked about the importance of MSPs needing to pivot. So I'm a former MSP owner. He's absolutely right. In the last 20 years, I can I can see you know two or three times that pivot. How are you helping MSPs to adapt? And the reason I throw that question is, I think security plays a big part in that, doesn't it? It really does. Um, and you, you probably heard this on a CEO panel today, but I think they nailed it. It's very difficult to... Like it's a daunting task to think that you need to go build your own security operations center. It's even could be a daunting task to think about trying to hire one or two security experts um, that operate at a very high level. What we're trying to do for MSPs is really bring that competency to them in an organized fashion with all the processes, the right technology, all the things they need so they can successfully service their clients. And I think that's that's something that's um, unique to us and something that's going to be really impactful for the MSP and allow them to make the pivot um, truly into cybersecurity. So just before we came on air, so to speak, you and I were talking about um, almost like the skills shortage and uh, how Continuum, I'm not going to say negates the needs, but helps to reduce the needs to, you know, to, to hire up more and more people. It doesn't replace the need, though, does it? To uh, Can you talk a little bit to that and how you're seeing Continuum partners yeah. and how they're dealing with the it, recruitment problem? It's a great question. Um, you know, what we're seeing is, is we're seeing folks that embrace our platform, their headcount will still grow over time. 
Uh, their businesses grow rapidly, but their employees are on high, higher value added roles. Like they're doing strategic consulting with their clients. They're working on strategic projects. They're helping develop new business and new opportunities and helping the company pivot to great market opportunities like security. They're not doing the day-to-day mundane tasks that we're automating through our Intellimont system and through our MM agents. Um, and that's really, I think, the, the big thing that we're seeing out there in the market is, and we want to make sure MSPs understand that. We're not there to necessarily replace. We might be replacing a function that's done today, but those employees are very valuable. We get that. And we want those employees to take higher value-added roles in the organization. Mm. Want to continue on the theme of security. So we're now in a world where cybercrime now exceeds all other forms of crime. That's slightly scary, but at the same token, I'm going to guess with your sales hat on, you also see that as an opportunity for MSPs. Oh, it's a great opportunity. I think the, the one thing I'm seeing come out of it, and I'll take a little bit different tack than maybe other folks would on this question, but I see an opportunity for um, the MSP to really paint a picture for the client on how they're protected today and then explain to them, look, there's new threats every day. There's new things that are happening every day. There's new uh, viruses, there's new phishing attacks. All this stuff is, it's happening real time. It's impossible for an MSP to protect on everything that happens with the old way that we protected. So I think once you paint that picture and you say, look, we're we're uh, protecting you with five or six, on five or six items today, but there's these seven or eight that are open. And we wanna make sure they can communicate that to the client and then communicate that we have offerings backed by Continuum that they can share with the client so they can solve those problems. Mm. We've heard the term Managed Service Security Provider, MSSP, another acronym, just what we need in the industry. Um, (laughs) I know how to define an MSP. How would you define an MSSP? So an MSSP is typically only focused on uh, helping security uh, on the security front, right? And they're not doing the traditional work that a managed service provider has done. You'll see a lot of MSSPs operating um, in a little bit larger category of space where a company already has an IT department, but they don't have security expertise. So they bring in an MSSP. Continuum is a good example. We, for many, much, many years of our growth, we had an IT staff, full IT staff, but we didn't have a, um, um, a, a CISO because we had an MSSP in the, in the background, and many companies operate that way. So I think it's a, it's a, there's a little bit of a difference there. They're really specialists. Um, and we don't see them operating a lot in our in our space. Like when you think about employee accounts that we're trying to service, 250 and below, that really don't have an IT staff, and that's where our client sweet spot is, our MSP sweet spot is. We don't see a lot of that. But I think the need for our MSPs to also be considered an MSSP is critical because a small business doesn't want to have to go to two suppliers. And the MSP is poised to make that shift and become an MSSP. And it's going to, like, I think it was Joe Panteri might have said, it's going to be one uh, word. that Those terms are going to merge. And I think um, uh, what we're going to see out of that, Richard, is, is that we're going to be able to provide that ability for them to pivot and provide both services to the small and medium business client. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot the conversation a little bit then. Okay. You and I have spoken about leadership before. I would say 
um, you're a student of, you know, leadership technique. In fact, I read a brilliant article, a summary you put together of uh, Jocko Willink's Thank you. Um, um, presentation. Um, I encourage uh, listeners to uh, to go and seek that one out. We'll share that in the show notes. Um, there are a lot of business leaders, um, MSP owners here at uh, Navigate. What advice do you give them to become not just good, but great leaders? No, that's a it's a great question. I think there's a couple things. I think you know one of the things that that Michael George uh, really does. I'll speak about him as a leader because I work with him every day. One of the things that Michael really does is he really pushes us to stay ahead of the curve. You know, I think the the MSPs I see that are growing really rapidly and they're growing really fast. They're worried about taking their clients ahead of the curve, and I think that's important from a vision standpoint. The second thing is they never shy away from value. So they're not out there selling on price. The MSPs are leading. They are saying, look, I'm going to be, they're telling the client, I am going to be more expensive. Okay. But there's a reason why you have problems right now that I'm going to fix for you. And I'm going to make sure you're not in those problems. So I think having the confidence, making sure from the top, from the CEO position of the MSP, the leadership to have the confidence to say, you're going to, you know, we're going to charge a premium, but you're going to get world-class service and we're going to make sure we take care of you. Um, those are things that, that great leaders do. And I think um, it's an important element as the MSPs have to pivot because one of the largest uh, objections we get in security, I'm going to share this with you, is uh, our clients believe we already have security today. So they're not going to want to buy additional security products. But the reality is the clients know they've been protected, but they don't necessarily know all the things that are going on in the market. And once you educate them, they kind of open up and say, look, I get it. You guys have done a certain amount, but you know we should be protected in these other areas. So just providing that thought leadership, providing the ability to sell on value and making sure you don't undercut your prices, I think is really important. Mm. And again, just you know, a shout out for the the stuff that you share on LinkedIn, especially. So I think you share some fantastic stuff. So anybody listening to this, I'd encourage you to at least um, stalk. I mean, follow Bob a little bit on uh, LinkedIn. There. Um, talking of confidence, we're going to see the MSP Shark Tank uh, later on today, where MSPs pitch their security ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, Bob Kosis, catch the judges' attention if you were pitching? Oh, that's a that's a great <laughs> question. I wasn't prepared for that one. No, that's a great question, Richard. I think. Um, there's a couple things that I, that I think that I would do. One is, you know, a lot of people are out there. Um, a lot of people are out there selling security in the market today. I mean, everybody has a flavor. Whether you're just doing endpoint and DNS, or you're doing something really advanced like a Sentinel One or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I think the people that are differentiating themselves are the people that are really becoming consultative in their approach, and they're really differentiating themselves by educating the consumer, the, the business consumer, on what where they're vulnerable. Somebody at the CEO panel made a point today I really love. They said, look, we're not going to sell to the market by scaring them. We're not insurance salespeople, okay? We need to explain to them that for business continuity reasons, to run your business in a, in a, in a safe manner, in an operational manner, is going to protect their end customers, it's going to protect business continuity, it's going to protect uptime, all those kind of things. We need to sell security in that in that light. So that would be my coaching advice is to make sure that they're positioning um, cybersecurity as something that's going to add real value to the clients, not selling it on, um, um, for lack of a better term, the sky is falling. 
Yes, uh, fear alone. Yeah. And for anybody listening uh, in the UK, uh, Shark Tank is an American show. I guess the closest analogy we've got in the UK would be uh, Dragon's Den. Okay, um, great. So there you go. But anyway, um, talking of the UK, so you've had some changes in the UK office uh, leadership. Can you give us any updates on plans for Europe and and I'd imagine there's some exciting things around the corner as well. There is. Unfortunately, I can't tell you uh, who or when, but I can tell you that I've been working hard in a process to find a new managing director um, for Europe. It's been a great search process. I've met with a tremendous amount of wonderful people who really would like to join Continuum. There is a certain skill set that you're looking for in a managing director. And um, you know, I think we're close. I think b- before Christmas, we'll have somebody announced um, and uh, I'm excited for that next chapter. I think uh, our previous leader did a great job of getting us to a certain point and, and, and built up a really good really good business there. And, and I appreciate all the um, effort the current team has and also our clients. I mean, it's it's been a great experience working with the clients in the UK. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have a uh, Navigate, uh, Navigate Europe or a UK user group uh, event next year, are we again? We are. We're going to have Partner Day. We haven't set the date yet, but we'll have... Um, uh, a small version of Navigate that we do in the UK. We're thinking about extending it to a day and a half. We're going to solicit some survey feedback from the from the the uh, UK partners because we're thinking maybe a half a day of training on the back end could be valuable if they bring us the right topics that they want us to do. So we're excited to set that up, and uh, I think it'll be really valuable. Mm. And hopefully we can get you across there again, Bob. And oh, I wouldn't miss it. Maybe we can do another interview for the podcast, and then you would be the first twice-returning <laughs> guest and overtake Philip Morgan. There. I would appreciate so, uh, that. If I have a chance to overtake <laughs> Philip Morgan, for the record, I would really appreciate that. <laughs> cool. Just before we go, I know your time is precious running around Navigate here. Have you got any messages for UK MSPs uh, to do with continuum or the wider industry? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my message would be this. We're, you know, now we, we can go live with security, I think, next week. Now it's GDPR compliant. Um, I think we've done a nice job in the UK, in the Benelux, of serving serving our clients properly with RMM. And the, the entire technical team did a nice job onboarding our clients. We're getting good value. We're getting good survey results. People are liking what they're seeing. The next wave of this with security is such an opportunity. Um, and what we're doing is, and you know this, we're we're taking enterprise-grade solutions like Sentinel One, like Event Tracker. We're bringing them to the SMB, and then we're also bringing all the service work you need to make that happen. So we're really excited about that. So I would just my 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 uh, advice would be build a security game plan. Uh, we would love to help you on that if we can um, and be part of that. Um, and then engage our team, and, and we're happy to share all the expertise we have in helping you build that plan. Fantastic. Bob, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Phil hiss. what's your job title? <laughs> I'm the Vice President of Product at Continuum Managed Services. What does that mean exactly? I'm responsible for our both product and service strategy for delivering solutions to managed service providers. So spend a lot of time with MSPs, trying to understand their challenges, their needs, uh, trying to find opportunities to make our current solutions better, grow our businesses uh, from very much our technology and software standpoint, but then also how we can plug in our service component into the overall managed service challenge. Yeah. So. I've had a couple of people speak to me uh, and they view Continuum as a service company as opposed to a product company. How would you address that being vice president of product? Uh, it's, it's actually a great point, maybe common misconception in the market ultimately at the end of the day. 
I guess ultimately it's in our name, Continuum Managed Services. Uh, but that's because we service managed service providers. So to give you a little bit of context, we have over 250 R&D engineers that are writing software that MSPs are interacting with every single day. So I think quite often our differentiation tends to be on the axis of service. So you helping MSPs you know, reduce expense using offshore capabilities and things like that. But we have a wealth of software and a wealth of software developers that truly drive a lot of the automation and the day-to-day interaction that MSPs have with our tools. Mm. What does a typical day look like for you? Uh, typical day, usually in the office about 7 a.m., um, get my quiet time then. You know, ultimately I spend a lot of time uh, in planning meetings, uh, both planning from research and development standpoint, from getting market problems right, then also planning how we enable our sales and marketing teams as well. So I kind of have that full spectrum. Uh, and then I usually try to, you know, get a couple client interactions or sorry, partner interactions during the week uh, to make sure the things that we're thinking about are grounded and, and uh, we're having people challenge us on what we think we've learned to continue to refine that alignment, uh, yeah. that, that learning. Makes sense. I want to get to your keynote presentation shortly, yeah, but sure. before we do, something that Michael said um, during his keynote about the market being dominated by the top 20% and lots of consolidation and mergers and acquisitions within the field. That brings an interesting situation that I could see where uh, during mergers, different MSPs would use different sets of tools and they need to come together. How? could Continuum help them with that scenario where they've got multiple tools and they need to sort of consolidate into one company? Well, I think first and foremost, we can help them consolidate on our tools. Uh, most importantly, uh, there definitely is consolidation going on in the market and that is something we think about. As a part of our platform, we have tools to help people very quickly in a matter of days migrate hundreds or even thousands of endpoints from one RMM to Continuum's RMM someone has a pre-existing backup and disaster recovery application that they're using, we can migrate legacy snapshot images from different providers and translate it into our format so we can virtualize even their legacy data there as well. So we've looked a little bit at kind of the legacy data problem in general as we grow our business. And I think it does begin to play into the consolidation ultimately as well. We need to be chosen as the tool of choice, which means hopefully we're delivering the most value when there's MSPs coming together. But we are thinking a lot about how to help people make that transition because it's key for consolidation, but it's also key for us day-to-day winning businesses. There's not many MSPs without an RMM tool today. Yeah, absolutely. But we're adding more every day. So we need to always be thinking about this. I think I'm seeing Continuum move towards being a business platform for MSPs more than anything. I guess, first of all, would would you agree with that? And if you do, how do you think that changes the way you view your product as a platform as opposed to tools that MSPs use? Well, I, more and more we're bringing together the tools that we have and try to make them an integrated service delivery platform. That is something I think that's really important because if you step away for a minute from our point of view, think about the client served by the MSP. They really care about, is my IT up and running? Is it secure? And more and more, they actually really care because they understand as small businesses, they're the prime target now, not just an accidental target. And third, am I meeting different compliance standards that are relevant based on my geography or my industry? 
And so if you think of that, there are a lot of different things that go into meeting those client needs. Now, traditionally, we've had RMM, we've had BDR, we've had security. Those are point solutions in some ways to solving them. So what we're trying to do is really integrate and bring together our tools and point solutions in a different ways so that there's a connective tissue between them. And ultimately, really making it so that security is aware and understands when the last backup was, or if there's a security event, understanding that the last good backup actually was three weeks ago because that ransomware or whatever has been sitting there for a while, so restore there. Or that an RMM understands that we have an issue with respect to vulnerabilities on a security front and does auto remediation for those things for our partners. So the more that we can kind of take information from what was traditionally a one technology silo and apply it across the problem, the more we have an integrated business platform in order for MSPs to solve that problem that that client cares about, keeping it up and running, keeping me secure, and helping me meet my compliance needs. Yeah. And I want to delve more into a couple of things you said there yeah. about compliance and the um, almost the you know the end user desires. Um, we've got to delve a little bit deeper into the security issue, uh, the security uh, situation. So uh, Continuum are known very well for what we would traditionally call a NOC, Network Operations Center, yep. now uh, predominantly known as the master MSP model. Now you've got a SOC coming along, Security Operations Center. For people who are not familiar with what a SOC is, can you exp- how would you summarize it? Yeah, no, a SOC's pretty simple. It's, it's analogous to a NOC with a different skill set. Ultimately, a SOC is a, for us is a center or a war room of security trained security experts that are monitoring our tools, our MSPs and MSPs client environments for suspicious activity using tools, technology, and knowledge to determine what suspicious activity is malicious and when malicious mitigating and then remediating that activity, all with a very much cybersecurity lens. Now, what's great about our model is we can have some remediation done by knock we can extend things out, but it's really a security expertise. And the reason that's so important, enterprises today are struggling greatly to hire security expertise. MSPs have, have, have really struggled to hire in that because they're competing against the enterprises. We have so many partners that have trained their own staff to be security experts, only for them to go get a job making twice as much money at a large enterprise. And so by having that SOC and having that differentiation, and around our tools, it's going to be very powerful for MSPs, much like the NOC model. Yeah, and I got a sneak peek of the uh, the SOC dashboard earlier on, which is a geek. I absolutely geeked out. It's that. pretty it cool stuff, actually. It's, it's, cool. it's very cool to see the tools they use. I'm not going to pretend to know what all of it does necessarily <laughs> um, in that active threat world, but it's pretty powerful. It does look very cool. So going back to something you said about um, meeting the end user's needs. So you, you're a US-based company, but you've got a global uh, reach. How do you tackle local compliance requirements? And of course, there's many, many different regions across the world with different compliance requirements. Uh, it all starts for us with expertise. Like, let's, we'll go down a journey, actually. Obviously, GDPR has been one of the biggest things that's been talked about in Europe. The first step for us was actually making sure our solutions were you know, essentially certified for G- GDPR, that we were handling personal information correctly you know, per the standard. 
and and that was a that's a great example and sort of a real eye opener. That's more of a people and process problem than even a cybersecurity problem, frankly. So it all starts with understanding, and that, that's an example recently. So we've done some work in HIPAA here in the United States, which is the healthcare regulatory standard. We brought in experts, and we we worked with them in order to develop explicit measurements, explicit monitoring, and explicit reporting enter out the status of an environment for HIPAA compliance. And we'll be doing more and more of that for the compliance regimes that make the most sense. So part of one of our steps is to really uh, dig in with our team in Europe and really look at what are the more common overall security, sorry, compliance requirements that have security components to them. Again, because GDPR has all the the noise and news, if you will, but it's more about personal information than exactly cybersecurity, where there's other, I think, local regimes uh, that are more relevant to our MSP's clients in Europe. Mm. And to that point about almost the globalization of IT there, services like Microsoft Azure, other cloud services, are just increasingly becoming a standard part of what the MSP does day to day. How are you adapting to these requirements from MSPs to, to work with Microsoft Azure and other well, platforms? Well, what's interesting is we have to. Um, traditionally, much of what we've done has been monitoring and managing on-premise technology for MSPs because that's still a majority of the workload. About 8% of, of SMB infrastructure is moving from on-premise to either the public or private cloud a, a year. Still moving sort of slowly overall, and that's accelerated a lot to even get to the 8%. What I want to be is agnostic to where the workload is and deliver value to the MSP in managing that environment. So we're really looking at what are the problems that are unique and different for the cloud. So first of all, our RMM agents actually work in the in Microsoft Azure, for example, and AWS, we've been monitoring servers. About 10% of our servers that we monitor today are in the public cloud. One of the things we have announced today was that we're greatly extending our Azure monitoring capability to monitor about out of box about 10 standard Azure services. So not just our Azure servers, but Azure services so that we can look for, you know, are they available? Are there problems? Restarting them, cloning them, having our, our knock work on issues for the MSP. And we've also announced that we're going to be able to back up servers that are in Azure using our continuum BDR product as well. So we're looking at the discrete problems and then then putting solutions forth to them. On the security front, we've actually done something, and and this is sort of interesting, because Office 365 is the most highly adopted SMB application with respect to SaaS. Over 50% of SMBs are on Office 365. As we look at our traditional lens, Office 365 doesn't really have a monitoring and management problem. Microsoft's done a really good job there. But it's one of the largest attack vectors for cybersecurity. And in understanding the market and understanding the SMB, what we did is dug in and said, no, our first solutions for Office 365 need to be in and around the monitoring of the security posture using our profile and protect offering of Office 365, and then active threat management using our detect and respond offerings Office 365, so looking for multiple failed logins, logins from known bad IPs, logins from odd geo locations where a person normally is, because this gets about the user now, not the endpoint, because it's SaaS. And so that's a great example of extending to the cloud with our platform, but focusing on the biggest problem, not necessarily a problem that we traditionally would have focused on three years ago, 
just thinking as an RMM vendor. So this is all part of our evolution. Mm. You mentioned a word earlier on, agnostic. Um, and we also talked about mergers and acquisitions earlier on. We're also seeing a lot of mergers and acquisitions in the MSP vendor yes. space as well. How would you say that's affecting your strategy towards API and integrations and allowing you know, other vendors, products and tools to, to integrate? It's a, it's a great question. Um, the more technology markets consolidate, particularly in the mid-market to SMB type space, the more there's a demand for vendor cooperation and openness. Um, the most successful companies in, in this type of segment have an open philosophy to things. So we're greatly working to extend the APIs that are available on our platform so we can, uh, so we can do partnerships and work with other vendors, even co opetition if you will, if necessary, but also that will allow our MSPs to do integrations to things as well. So I think openness is gonna win in this market like it has frankly in so many markets because the days of traditional vendor lock-in and closed segments, even at the enterprise level, um, is getting a great amount of pushback if you look at that. Markets, markets demand openness. Um, they don't want to be forced into things and I think that's going to be our philosophy. We always hope our tools are better, so we have to make them better. That's the other thing. The client, the MSP wins Yeah, when people are open. Absolutely makes sense. And talking about the um, the MSP winning, you've got an in-house um, UX team. Um, how do they ensure that the, the UI, the user interface that the MSP engineers actually see is the A interface that they actually want? It's, uh, <laughs> I love to say it's more art, but it's all science. So we do have a team of UX engineers. Uh, and what they do is, first we begin with a problem that we're trying to solve. They'll then go interview several of our, our partners, you usually try to get five, 10 in the early days, conceptualize the problem, conceptualize the workflow a little bit, then you do mock-ups. From the mock-ups, you don't go to development, you go back to those partners and a couple different partners. And you iterate a little bit to kind of get away really solving the problem. Unfortunately, you can't show it to everyone. Uh, you need to kind of get it right for the most part. Then we start writing real code. Then we get it back in front of partners before we ever, you know, even think about pushing it production. And we kind of iterate through that process. We try to do it quickly. We try to, you know, use agile development like, like every software vendor. But that UX team is so key because what we want is we want to delight our users when they're using our software. And some of the gains we made in the last year and we'll continue to make into the next year are all about simplifying the user experience, making it super intuitive, and making it workflow focused. So when a technician's going in to solve a problem, it's clear, simple, and easy for them to achieve that task, achieve that outcome they're focused on. Let's talk a little bit more about that, that workflow focus. You've announced some big uh, modernization plans for the platform, including a focus on uh, automation as well. Tell me more about that. What can you do to help the engineers not have to do things, you know, stuff just happens for them. Well, I, I think there's several things. I think one of the biggest things that Continuum's always done is we've, we've had a concept of what we call Intellimond. Intellimond is looking at all the alerts and conditions that come off any type of machine, performing some correlation and identifying what the real challenge is, or, or if there is a real problem. So we've extended those capabilities to also to desktops from just servers, uh, and that's been important. From there, when something's identified or an, a true, what we would call a true alert then, a continuum alert, after we get the noise out, we are actually able to then take a type and then have a, uh, 
have a technician automate the running of a series of a, of a script or a series of scripts using our task and sequence capability. So we can auto-connect, kind of condition happens, just run this. And we're doing a lot of that in how we think about things is to take the condition, execute this, so that you can have the full end automation. We have hundreds of out-of-box scripts. What we've also done is then expanded scripting to really this concept of sequences so that we can run a series of scripts in a, in a kind of serial event, but then based on the outcome of any given script, we can choose to run a different script. Think of it like conditional logic. Uh, and that's hugely powerful for automation and really will make technicians significantly more productive. Yeah, and as a former technician myself, I'm really excited about yeah, that. Anything yeah. that makes life easier yeah. is great. It's good stuff. Fielder, I know how much you're in demand, especially in an event like this. Uh, so thank you for spending the time with me today and I wish you all the best in the future. Absolutely, it's a true pleasure. Cheers. Michael George, CEO of Continuum. How are you doing? Richard Tubb, I'm doing terrific. Really <laughs> great to see you again after... Uh, our last time together in the UK. Indeed, indeed. Um, we had great feedback on that last episode, so thank you for taking the time there. You're a busy man here at uh, Continuum Navigate. Got 700-plus MSPs with us, so I appreciate you taking the time. What's been your top goal for Navigate this year? Yeah, so, you know, the the industry right now is at a very, Im very important crossroads that it needs to be paying attention to. And we want to make sure that our partners are as prepared as possible, you know, to meet the challenges uh, ahead. And when I say ahead, I mean at the, you know, at their feet, uh, not way far out. The um, the big issue is is that the small to medium business market's largely been uh, not under attack from cybercrime, and uh, as you know, you know, large enterprises have been for a long time in government systems, but as those industries have spent literally billions of dollars, you know, getting all those systems locked down, they've made it slightly more difficult for cybercrime. And uh, it's turned its attention really to the small business market, which has spent virtually the last 20 years getting interconnected and hyperconnected and not paid a whole lot of attention to security. So with, you know, a fairly um, easy at initially, but then over time, you know, some technologies that have made uh, cybercrime a much more pervasive part of the small business market and somewhat random and, and so forth, you know, both simple and sophisticated techniques are being used to go and attack small businesses because they have figured out how to exploit them uh, with ransomware and, you know, steal data. Uh, lockdown systems, shutdown systems, uh, and uh, and everything else that will impair a business's ability to continue. So now that that's you know upon us, unfortunately, you know most customers are now in a frantic you know frenzy of, hey, you know, am I going to get attacked? Am I protected? Well, look, here I have, I have security on my invoice. I'm paying for it, so. I must be secure in some way. And the MSP market in general, uh, and very broadly in general, is really um, you know, flat-footed when it comes to addressing these issues because the, uh, the security that they have been providing has been appropriate at its time. It's malware and AV and, and some other pretty rudimentary endpoint protection elements, but with, uh, with the level of sophistication 
you know, the need now to go and isolate and remediate is, uh, you know, is an imperative. And so, you know, it's a very challenging dynamic uh, where, again, the MSP is not prepared, you know, to address, you know, this very, very, you know, pandemic issue. Mm. I want to talk some more about security. In fact, I want to talk lots about security uh, going forward. But something I want to touch on first from your keynote presentation. You mentioned the changes in the industry or the big changes that you see coming in the industry. Uh, the Pareto principle that uh, you referenced, you said 80% of the revenue being driven by 20% of the MSPs. How is that market separation coming about? Yeah. So look, you know, you've been doing this for a while, Richard, and so have I. I you know, all of these macro market trends end up, you know, evolving this way. So this is not some unique phenomenon. Uh, and again, so much so that there is a broad principle that's well understood and applies to, you know, most uh, of the way these markets, you know, shake out. And that one's upon us now. So that's absolutely right. We were, you know, today they say here in North America, there's about 40,000 MSPs by SIC code, uh, if you look in the UK and and throughout sort of the pan-European markets, there's also about 35 or 40,000 MSPs in that in that geography, and it's all highly fragmented. There's no concentration, right? There might be some number of larger providers, but it's very few. Most are still, you know, the cottage industry that really has been the backbone of of the MSP market, you know, since its since its uh, genesis. And that, you know, the slope of separation to the 80-20 rule is going to happen very, very quickly, as it usually does. Uh, and it takes a catalyst, something, you know, that takes a market or an industry, you know, from a tipping point, some place of critical mass, and, you know, absolutely transforms it, you know, very, very quickly. The catalyst in this case is security or cybersecurity uh, in particular and the need for more secure um, you know, capabilities by the MSP, you know, to protect their customers. So, so that's the macro dynamic. And, and, you know, very clearly over the next two to three years, the market's going to take shape. And, uh, and that shape it will take will be, you know, the kinds of companies that are well-prepared, well-equipped, uh, and that are very deliberate about executing on, you know, the needs of the market are going to, become part of that 20%, you know, that dominate 80% of the revenue. And, um, you know, they'll have a lot of sales DNA inside the organization. They'll be very clear about gaining market share and not just trying to cross sell and upsell their existing customers, but frankly, going out and, and getting new customers. Uh, and they'll have a comprehensive suite, if you will, of products and services that enable them to do everything from what a traditional MSP used to do um, in combination with what a new managed security service provider needs to do. Uh, and I don't think that those two things will be different anymore. I think that they will be one and the same and, and, um, and that will, that will, you know, be the catalyst for the separation and, and, uh, and the separation again will take place literally over the next two to three years. Mm. I want to pick up on some more stuff from the, from the keynote before I do, I think it's two or three, three or four times I've seen you present now. You're such an engaging presenter. How do you, do you get nerves before you go up in front of a huge audience like that? I guess I'm one of the privileges I get, Michael, of doing this uh, 
podcast is I get to get free consultancy from mm-hmm. brilliant people. I get very nervous going up in front of big audiences. You seem so smooth with it and you so engaging. Well, you know, how did you get trained up on being a great speaker? Well, first of all, you're very kind uh, to say that. Um, you know, I, um, in terms of being engaging, I think the content speaks for itself. You know, we spend a lot of time and do a lot of research and the material that uh, I'm sharing in those keynotes are things that we believe are really, really important things for the market to understand. Uh, number one and number two, you know, it um, it looks easy because it is easy only because I very, very passionate about uh, about what we do and the role that we're playing in the entire MSP ecosystem. And uh, and so it's not, you know, it's it's not difficult for me to express perhaps that passion. And uh, and as I said, if you, you know, just looking at the content, looking at the the, you know, very analytical um, and I think very thoughtfully organized. Uh, and I'm not taking the credit for that uh, either. We have a spectacular, you know, team in our organization that do a lot of the analysis, study markets. We have uh, financing by Toma Bravo. I mentioned that uh, Toma Bravo owns more than 30% of the technology providers that are serving the managed services market. Uh, and so they know a whole lot. They study and research macro trends and dynamics, and they understand who the winners and losers are going to be. That's why they bet billions of dollars on them. And, um, and they, they usually, if not always, are right. And so they, they also share with us a lot of that analysis. And, and so it's, it's, been, it's been a privilege, frankly, to be the mouthpiece for both a tremendous amount of you know, statistical analysis um, and also, you know, a terrific team, a marketing team, and a and a um, uh, a team in our in our organization that help us, you know, organize it in a way to to be able to share it with others. So it's it's truly a privilege for me. Well, it shows you're an exceptional speaker. But uh, back to your keynote, um, fantastic quote that you you shared here. I've got to repeat it back. BDR is to security what sprinklers are to fire. Pre- Prevention, uh, love that. Elaborate on that a little bit for us. Well, you know the yeah you know, BDR's got an incredibly important role in the IT services ecosystem. So I don't want to diminish its value, but you know there are some vendors out there that call it data protection, and in turn MSPs call it data protection, and they've been selling it to their customers that way. Um, but without the clarification of saying it's really an insurance policy but it is not a security tool, uh, would have been an important distinction to make. And since it hadn't been made, there is a false sense of security on behalf of those who went out and you know, licensed a BDR from their MSP with the sense that, well, I'm, my data is protected. Um, and that sounds proactive and preemptive, and it's not. It is reactive. And much like, you know, as I said, uh, and as you, as you requoted it so well, you know, just like a sprinkler system only goes off after a fire is ablaze. And, uh, you know, not only is there already fire damage and smoke damage, but, you know, the sprinkler system also causes water damage. And if you really unpack the way a BDR works, you know, oftentimes people are trying to do a backup at a time where it's too late. Bots, as we know, infiltrate networks and systems and they'll sit as sleeper bots for, you know, 20, 21 days is on average. 
And in that meantime, it's done a lot of damage. And of course, backups are continuously backing up and in bringing that, um, that malicious software into the backup environment. And so, you know, it's not, it's, it's, I, again, it's creating a false sense of security and it's creating a challenge, frankly. We're hearing from a lot of MSPs, you know, who are mispositioning it that way of coming in and saying, well, I'm really having a hard time providing the right uh, kind of security solution to, to my customer in the, in the security space because when I sold them a BDR, I sold it positioned this way, and now I have to explain, well, you know, it's not quite um, true data protection. It is in the sense of, a, of an insurance policy for when I fail at security, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I am going to be able to prevent a security incident um, and uh, and to remediate it out of the network. I'm I'm only I'm allowing it to you know coexist in in your environment, and I'm using this now to go find a recovery point that we believe is prior to the malicious attack and the the you know the spreading right. We we didn't have the time to inoculate the rest of the system and so forth, so it spread and and therefore I backed up a number of spread malicious. Uh, you know, uh, you know, pieces of software in the system. I've got to go way back, and the problem there is, is that's productivity loss, right? I mean, this is now we're having to wind back pretty far because we, you know, this problem sat undetected and unremediated, and and um, and so backup systems are really, um, again, they're not a problem. Uh, they are only a problem when they've been mispositioned as being security. Uh, solution, and they're not. They are a, a part of the security equation, uh, and I again, I don't want to misrepresent that. Uh, you know, and ours is a critical part of it too. Uh, but we're doing some things, for instance, to you know, very you know, provide very early detection and of some anomalous activity. And as soon as we do that, we will notify our. We will you know provide a signal alert through our system to notify our. A BDR to back up, for instance, everything on the network except for that one device where we detected some anomalous activity. That way I'm, I'm cleaning up, you know, and I'm capturing everything else, but I'm not backing up that malicious, you know, piece of software and so forth, right? And that's just one example of how, you know, to better tie in true BDR to a, you know, true and holistic and, you know, a cybernetically connected you know, system that will really address the security issue in a much more comprehensive and a much more real-time way. Yeah, understood. Now, I'm a bit of a, a history buff when it comes to the, the, you know, the history of IT. You talked about something during your keynote that, that a connection I'd never really made before to do with digital Darwinism, <laughs> as you sort of coined <laughs> yeah. the term. So you talked about Xerox and how they've lost a hundred billion um, in uh, uh, sort of uh, their pricing since 1999. Um, and you also gave the example versus Sharp, one of their competitors, uh, so to speak, and how Sharp have, have risen during that time. So I thought it was a fascinating story. Talk a little bit more about, you know, why you see Xerox has fallen and Sharp has risen during that time. What, what was, what happened there? Yeah, so that, you know, that's just one example, but a, but a very illustrative example of, again, this concept of digital Darwinism that in the rate of change in and around, you know, the digital world that we live in today, it happens very, very quickly. And companies have to evolve. They have to 
adapt and change. I use the term pivot from one transformational change to the next in order to not only survive, but to be successful. And the, the example of Xerox and Sharp in comparison was to illustrate um, a clean example of two companies that both rose around the same uh, fundamental digital transformation that was in the days of facsimile. Both of them were leaders in their respective categories, Sharp in the small business market, Xerox in the enterprise market. And you know, from essentially the mid 80s uh, on through, they rose their revenues and their business platform because they went from what was simply a copier to what became a multi-function device. That second principal function was facsimile. And these are two companies that, that you know, just grew tremendously uh, and benefited tremendously through that evolution. Um, and uh, the example was you know, clear, Xerox being the leader in the enterprise space ended up becoming a great company of innovation. They invested a lot. They, they created a thing called Xerox Park, which stood for Palo Alto Research Center. And it was there that they had invented uh, some very, very important elements of the personal computing uh, uh, transformation. They invented the GUI. They invented the mouse. Now, of course, we credit companies like Apple and Microsoft with that because they were the ones that actually did something with it and pivoted and transformed their ideas you know, into the personal computing era. And Xerox was a company that uh, failed to appreciate even what they had and what they had invented. And they did not grasp that technological transformation. They did not pivot quickly enough. And of course, you know, as you know, as a history buff of, of uh, IT and technology as you are, the personal computer in combination with the internet and now with DocuSign and EcoSign and other, all these other transport mechanisms using the hyperspeed of the internet and the clarity and the perfection of a document, not the reproduction of one, uh, through the internet really became the cause of the demise of the use of facsimile, which at its peak, there were 100 million facsimile machines you know, produced with Sharp and Xerox being two of the largest producers of it. Uh, and 17 billion documents transferred around the world by a facsimile at its peak. And the demise of that was at the, you know, really at the, uh, uh, the cause of, was, you know, the very thing that Xerox invented. They just didn't grasp it. And so they didn't make the pivot. And they went, just as you said, from $110 billion at their peak in January of 1999, today they're trading at 6.5 you know, billion dollars. And, uh, you know, they've lost over a hundred billion dollars in value in that time. It was just astronomical. And it's, you know, it's not a good story. It's, but it is a story um, that everybody needs to understand, you know, the elements of that uh, transformation and, and why companies like Sharp, who have figured out how to go pivot, how to embrace the next transformation, how to race to the future, um, and not sit there and rest on the laurels of the momentary success uh, because, you know, the rate of change, again, in technology is hyperspeed compared to, let's say, you know, the, the, uh, the industrial revolution, right? The digital revolution is taking place at absolutely astronomical rates. And so, you know, the need to move quickly is an imperative. Xerox failed to do so, and it's a sad story. You know, Sharp was one of the, you know, one of the few companies that 
in the same, you know, fundamental category, office equipment, technology provider to office equipment, you know, pivoted and pivoted. And they are today one of our largest uh, partners. They're using our platform to go to market in remote monitoring and backup and in security and all the other elements that we make available. So we're, we're very pleased, you know, to be with a true, you know, adapter and adopter of innovation and, and a company that knows to you know, race to the future. Yeah, very interesting story. Now, I know you've got to dash off. You've got plenty of other things that you, uh, you plenty of other people you need to see today. I can't let you go without asking one other question about Please, IT no, history. let's take a moment. I'm happy. Is it true that you own an original Pac-Man console <laughs> at your house? Something of your own personal passion, I understand. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh, Retro gaming, a big thing for me. It is, it is, uh, it is in fact true. I, I was very fortunate. And again, I, I also talked about in my keynote, as you may have noted, you know, that timing is everything. And uh, one of the things I was very fortunate about is I, I, um, I used to, uh, when I was in high school, my job, if you will, was I bought from one of the local distributors old pinball machines, literally the old physical mechanical pinball machines, a lot of fun. And I had a, you know, high inclination to electromechanical design, ultimately telemetry systems and other things. But I was very, you know, electromechanically oriented. And I used to buy these old machines for $25 and $50 and load up my parents' garage. And I would spend, you know, nine months a year fixing them up uh, and repairing them, not just cleaning them up, but literally fixing the solenoids and all the different elements uh, to them. And then as we approached the holidays, I would advertise those in the, you know, the local classified, you know, one ads. And, and that was my way of making a living, uh, you know, through my high school uh, era. And then when I uh, was uh, heading into college, again, the good fortune of, you know, uh, as was once said by a great Brit, um, you know, success oftentimes is stumbling from one failure to the next without the loss of enthusiasm. And uh, the next uh, thing I stumbled into was, uh, uh, you know, the same distributor uh, made available to me the ability to use some of the Pong games uh, that were available at that time. And so I turned my attention to that. And I literally started a video uh, arcade business uh, with uh, while I was in college. And, you know, we had the good fortune of going from uh, one little pizza parlor around the corner to owning seven arcades uh, and uh, in one state and then in the other state. Uh, we were the largest supplier uh, in a tourist community of all the games and all the bars and restaurants and so forth. So it was very fortunate. And uh, shortly after Time Magazine uh, ran an article, of, you know, equating owning a video game arcade to owning a pot of gold. Uh, that was my signal to sell my <laughs> my business. So we also had the good fortune of uh, of being able to do that. Um, you know, right around the time I was I was graduating from college. So it all happened very very quickly. Uh, this is a machine. You're absolutely right. I when I we were approaching the end and I was selling you know the business. Um, it was the last machine I bought. Of course, you know, the games got far more sophisticated and Defender and, you know, all got tank and using Rastascan technology and all kinds of really terrific 
uh, innovations. Uh, but this was a machine I bought and I stored and kept with me, knowing one day I would have children of my own uh, who would benefit greatly and enjoy both the history uh, and the fun of it. So we have a little game room in our home and my, te- my three teenagers play it um, with the same level of you know, fascination and, and enthusiasm as perhaps you and I might have when, when we were you know, that age uh, approaching such, such fun. So anyway, but thank you for asking. That's fantastic. Uh, I hope it wasn't uh, too boring a story for you. But again, I, love it. I think was, we could record an entire podcast just talking <laughs> about your history with video games. Well, but, thank uh, you. We'll have to see perhaps if I can uh, twist your arm to get a photograph of that Pac-Man machine so we can share that. With, I would, uh, I would well. love it. It'd so. be my pleasure. Michael, I know you've got a rush now, but thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me today. Really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations on another fantastic navigation. Well, Richard, thank you. You're very kind to say that. And thank you for all your support and all you do for the community. Having built an MSP of your own uh, and a successful one at that, I can't think of a better voice um, you know, to channel the needs uh, that uh, that the MSP has today and, uh, and the right kinds of, you know, uh, editorial and, uh, um, you know, the way you approach a story and approach the interest of this, I think, is a very important uh, way for MSPs to learn and to grow and to benefit. So thank you for all you do for the industry as well. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners. You can find the show notes and bonus content for this interview, along with dozens of other interviews with IT business leaders over at www.tubblog.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing the show over at iTunes. It helps the show reach new listeners. Tune in for our next episode when Richard speaks to his latest guest for more valuable insights into the world of business and IT. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you next episode. Have a great day. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.